0: that we can have in your word and I pray that as we open it up and we take a look at this amazing letter that Paul wrote to his spiritual son that we would be encouraged by it. That we would also see maybe some pitfalls that could come our way in our faith journey but if we would hold tight to what we've known um, from the day you rescued us that we can make it through serving you in some pretty amazing ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Our Lord, nor of me His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abide reality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. That was one sentence. Oh, Paul. But, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Father, you have heard from me in the faith and in love that are in Christ Jesus. But the Holy Spirit who dwells in good, good deposit entrusted to you. You are turned away from me among our Fagellus and her, um, for he also my chains, but when he arrived and found me, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So this is a when he says. They in the deposit family imparted upon him that his grandma, his mom, and then his mentorship of Paul have imparted to him. And he says, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And so there's something going on, and Paul's addressing it. There's some people that have forgotten him or have walked away from him. He's in prison. They're a little ashamed because their leader, their mentor, is now locked up. There's a little bit of hesitancy there. And there's also... Some people and some false teachers, which he addressed in 1 Timothy, they're still coming around him. They're coming around in Ephesus, and he's going to guard, he's going to call him to guard what he knows to be true and to not walk away from it. Um, We know that there are three kind of coffee cup sections here, other than the guard the deposit was entrusted in you, that are the themes of this section of Scripture. Don't be ashamed of the testimony, share in suffering, and hold on to this pattern of sound teaching. Um, that you've heard from Paul. And so we get this kind of three-phase teaching out of this passage, these passages. Don't be ashamed about the testimony. Don't be, You need to be bold in your faith. Don't shrink away when someone would say, do you, you really believe that stuff? Are you really a Christian? Do you really, you really do that? Yes. Don't be ashamed of that. Share in the suffering. Paul's in prison, and so he's going to tell Timothy that the life, a life of suffering is often what we experience, and that we can't be Uh, we can't let that suffering push us away from our faith. That just because suffering is coming our way doesn't mean that we've done something wrong, and it doesn't mean that God is punishing us. It's part of the life in a broken world. And then, hold on to this pattern. Hold on to this truth that you know is right in front of you, that you've known since you were a child. We know that mockery came to the church very early. Um, This is the first, and I'll show you the, the actual one you can see in a minute. Um, This is the, I'm going to try to get this right. It's the first known drawing of the crucifixion um, from the first century. Uh, The church and the early church didn't have, there's not a lot of imagery of the crucifixion. The first known image of the crucifixion was a mockery. Um, And it's meant to be a young boy who's standing next to a crucified Christ with a donkey head it's making fun of jesus the first known rendition of the crucifixion is today we call it a meme i think and it's making fun of people who would follow christ you people follow the cross you christians follow you know that's just like little boys looking at someone a donkey dying on the cross that mockery was has been part of the christian faith mockery from the outside and people poking fun that the gospel message has been, from the very beginning of our faith, a very true thing. That people have picked on, made fun of. You believe that? You really think that? You're ridiculous? That's some new... So it's nothing new. Um, and Paul is addressing some of that very early mockery in 1 Timothy and even in the 2 Timothy to try to help Timothy be encouraged. Don't Don't be surprised when this stuff comes. Hold on tight to what you know to be true. And today, you would we experience the same thing. I mean, that might be the largest form of our suffering, is if you would share your faith with someone and they would mock it or they would ridicule that you really believe this stuff. Um, But it could be as severe as our brothers and sisters around the world that are being killed for their faith, that their businesses are being burnt, that their places of their homes are being destroyed, that they're losing all of their. Financial ability to live because they believe in Jesus, their families would reject them and push them away, um, but for some of us it might just be mockery, which we can handle can't we for the most part I think we can verse testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So there is clearly, because Paul's in prison, people are saying, well, why would you follow him? He did some bad things. He's in prison. He's probably a lunatic. What's, his, what's he doing? Or, keep saying things about Jesus like, Paul, and you'll be in prison. You really want to be in prison? You go to prison, then your family's going to suffer. You go to prison, there's no one to provide for your wife and kids. Do you really want to do this? And so there's people on the outskirts, it appears, from Paul's response, speaking to Timothy and maybe the people in the church in Ephesus. Like, why would you do this? We know that the church in Ephesus was attacked by Artemis, that was there. And so you have, there was a, the gospel penetrated the city of Ephesus into such a degree, we see in the book of Acts. That the local money changes for the temple of Artemis, that it's it all it upset the economy. The gospel upset the economy in that town. It would be like us here if the church, if Jesus spread through this church and spread into this community, and all of a sudden the local drug trade now ceases to exist because the gospel penetrates this area and there's no more. Meth. There's no more pills. There's and so the dealers in town who are upset because the gospel has penetrated this community in such a magnificent way that there's no more drug trade. Well, what would those drug dealers do? Well, they would come after me. They would come after this church. They'd come after you because you're hit. You're impacting their bottom line. And so that's what. That even Paul is trying to help Timothy see that he's in prison. There might be some shame, there might be some things come your way, there might be some tension come your way, but it doesn't matter because the gospel is going to go forth and it might cause some suffering. He gives us kind of a threefold thing here. Um, we share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us, um, not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace. He calls us. Not, we don't work for this salvation. We don't work for this relationship. He comes for us. That all happened in reverse. It wasn't supposed to be like that, but anyway. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And so he's giving Timothy a kind of a threefold explanation that not only does Christ come to save us, he also sustains us, and he's also going to glorify us. That Jesus is doing all of this work. And he tells him, I was appointed to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. That his identity is to herald this good news. I am suffering as I do because of this. He's suffering and he's in prison because he's upsetting the standard. He's saying that it's not about you. It's about the glory of God. And so we see it in this threefold. He saves us, he sanctifies us, and he glorifies us. The yes, the saving work of Christ on the cross, we celebrate every week in communion. We're celebrating his saving work on the cross. We also hold true and we trust that he sanctifies us. That we are different today than we were the day that he saved us. That can change very small and minutely over a long time. But we are being transformed by the power of Jesus. That the good news of God is in, in Christ's death on the cross for us will transform us. And I, I think I've made a few changes in my life since I was 17. I hope. There are some parts. I think sometimes I still have the maturity of a 15-year-old in a lot of ways. Uh, my wife wishes that that would change a little more, I think. But I think she's given up at this point. But the things I struggle with and the sins that really captured my heart when I was 17 aren't the sins that capture my heart, at least to the same degree, as they did back then. That by sanctifying us, he's slowly transforming us into his image more and more each day. That the things that I would focus on so much when I was younger aren't the things I focus on now. I have a different eyes that look at different things. And then he glorifies us. That's the end. Now what typically happens... In the, A lot of times in the Christian world and in church, we will celebrate the saving part, and we celebrate the glorification part. We love it. We love to talk about his saving work on the cross, and we love to talk about that saving work being carried on into our death and into our immortality, into the end, into eternity with him in heaven. But the middle part is what Paul is really going after in this section, the sanctification That in the middle, we are transformed, we're changed. And if we don't let Christ do that work, if all we're focused on is, I don't want to go to hell, then the middle of our existence becomes drudgery. It's not joy. It's not filled with... We're just holding on, waiting to get out of here so we can get to the good stuff. And we don't focus, we don't participate we don't dig in we don't dive in we don't get into people's lives we don't share our lives we're not open with who we are because I got my salvation and I'm just waiting to my ticket to be punched and that's not how we're supposed to live and so Paul is giving Timothy a very clear direction like he's called to be a teacher and a preacher and an evangelist and so when you come to your place of salvation, then you start trying to figure out through the course of your life what's God calling you to? Your salvation's secure. You've been saved. You know heaven is your future. You know eternity is your future with him. But what, and what about until then? How can you serve your neighbor? How can you serve your family? How can you help others find that kind of hope? What's it look like? I and mean, it's different over the years. You could have a season of serving in this capacity and well then you move, God moves you to a whole other capacity. Things change. You move locations. He's sanctifying us in all of that. But I'm not ashamed. For <laughs> and <I'm laughs> until that <laughs> me follow the path <laughs> in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The power. That you've heard from me and faith and love that are in Christ. That's our hope of sanctification. He's not, and he's convinced. He's able to guard it until that day. Like, I'm not, he's not backing down. No one is going to come along to Paul and say, you know, this stuff you've been suffering for, you know, that's all a joke, right? You know, that's not real, right? Yeah, you had that experience and you did the thing and you understand the Bible more and you're teaching people and people are responding, but you know that's all made up, right? Doesn't that sound like some constant stuff we even hear to this day? You really believe that? You really think that? But you're suffering in prison, Paul. If God was real and he really loved you, wouldn't he get you out of prison? Come on, Christian. If God was real, would you be going through this? Would you have that sickness? Would you have those aches and pains? Would you have that turmoil in your life, in marriage, in relationship, in family? Is that really what's going to happen? Come on, Christian, you really believe that stuff? And you get the whispers of the enemy. Satan comes along, works through, I can't believe this anymore. This doesn't match. I can't. And Paul's warning Timothy with his example. I'm not ashamed of this. Yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, I've been shipwrecked. Yeah, I've been beaten half to death a couple times. Yeah, people think I'm crazy, but I'm ashamed because I know it's real. I know it's real. And he's telling Timothy, remember what your grandma and your mom taught you. Remember all the times we were together in ministry. Let that be the testimony that gets you through when people come along and cause you to doubt. Or try to get you to doubt. Then he says, Follow the power of the words that you heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And that's the key before you get to the guard of the deposit. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The faith that has grown in you. The faith that has been revealed to you. You guard this. You know it's true. You know it's real. So when a book comes out or a TV show comes out or somebody comes along and has some new perspective on whatever then you just walk away from it engage if you want but don't let don't be the person that believes the last book they read that's, that's a lack of critical thinking it's a lack of digging in and so if you just let whatever comes your way sway you then you're going to be filled with anxiety over faith filled with and when that happens to you, it takes you out of the game of faith. It takes you out of being evangelist. It takes you out of sharing your life with others. Because you're easily tossed by the wind back and forth and back and forth. Guard the deposit, that's what he's about to say. That the faith and love that we have in Christ Jesus holds us secure. Religious people, and this is, we'll, we'll get to this to the end too, but I think, I think it's well to say this now. As a quote I stole from a commentary, that religious people find God useful, but cross bearing disciples find him beautiful. And that's what Paul's trying to remind Timothy of. This relationship you have with God is an intimate relationship filled with beauty and joy and hope. If all we approach God with is, please save me, please fix this, please help me with this, please give me the strength to get through this. Please change the weather. Please bring this person to faith. Please heal me from this. If it's always just for the stuff, and you, you reject the suffering, you reject the beauty of God, then you're going to have a very weak root system. It's not just about the stuff. It's about a beautiful relationship with Him. Do you love the time you spend with him in prayer and in the word? And are you overwhelmed by his love for us? That he would rescue rebels like you and me. Does that motivate you in a passionate relationship with God the Father? Or are you just looking for the stuff? It's useful because I can come to church and there's some people here that I can. I treat church like a networking service, like it's a business class. What's the. Carnegie, win friends and influence people. Wasn't that Dale Carnegie? That I'm going to use church like that. That this is more like a sales job. And I'm going to network and I'm going to find people. And then when I have a problem in my life, then I know the person to talk to because I've been networking well. It's not how church works. Yes, we help each other. I'm not saying don't ask for help. We help God and He loves us. And we get a new heart that tells us it's not about you, it's not about me. I'm going to give of myself because God gave for me. I'm going to give because I love him and I love others knowing him in a deeper way. So I'm going to serve in a self-sacrificial way. I'm going to give and I'm not going to ask for things in return. And I might get burned. I might get disappointed. But I'm going to keep in the race. I'm going to keep in this relationship because God never gives up on me. So when he says... By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted in you. If you've been in church, around Christians, for any length of time, there's going to be people even in the church that are going to disappoint you. And then you expand that circle. There are people that disappoint you. There are people that are going to cause you to doubt, to sway, to think differently, to be, that's going to happen. And then you turn on Cable news. And then you turn on other stuff. I mean, used to you had to go find a book to cause you to doubt things, and now it's just in the airwaves everywhere. But by the Spirit who's in us, we will guard that deposit. And he's telling Timothy, guard it. The word there in Greek is a military term, like guarding a post, like guarding the gate. Keep out the false teachers. Keep out the the stuff that would cause you to stumble. The things that come your way, be careful, guard it. Matt Chandler, several years ago, I don't, he didn't coin it. Some a, a Christian sociologist, theologian, kind of whatever person coined the term moralist, therapeutic moralistic deism. And what was happening was these people that were coming, they were coming to faith in their 30s and 40s after being in church almost their entire lives. And he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't understand it. Like these people have been going to church services forever and they're coming to a a saving faith in Jesus after attending church for 20 years. Doing the deal, singing the songs, doing the Bible studies. And they coined this phrase that what was happening. But I don't think God really has a direct relationship with me. So, moralistic, moral, whatever. Deism means God doesn't really have any control, but if I'm a good person, then I get to go to heaven. It's just a new way of saying things that have been said forever. If I'm a good person, and I get good things from God, he doesn't really have an impact on my day-to-day life, that's my faith. And they encountered a saving faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they came to true faith. It was all over his church. And I wonder if sometimes that's permeated even our community here in Laramie. Well, if I'm a good person and I serve some, God day to day life. I don't really call on him for everything. But the cross and I can't wait for heaven, but this day to day stuff, I don't know. He's not really involved in that. That's all up to me. But as long as I'm a good person, I'll get this. That's not a passionate relationship with God. That's not longing for the word. That's not longing for him. And I know that sounds like giant pie in the sky, huge stuff. It starts really small. It starts really small. It starts with a small Bible study. It starts with, I'm just going to spend the next couple of years in the gospel of Mark. Because I don't really want to touch the Old Testament. It's too hard. It's too much. It's too many names. It might can't pronounce anyway. So how about we just stay in Mark? Prayer time? I, man, I don't even know what to do. So I'm going to find some prayers that I can read. Praying on my own seems kind of hard. I don't know what the words to say. I don't know how to approach him. So I'm going to get a, a book of prayer. i want to find a few. We kind of say the Lord's Prayer almost every week here at the church. Unless someone forgets. That's a good one to start with. To commit to memory. I... I tough for me to find 30 minutes to an hour a week to just to spend alone with God, so I'm going to try, my, I'm going to try 10 minutes on my lunch break. I'm going to sit, I'm going to relax, take some deep breaths, and just say, Lord, thanks for today. Help me with what's coming. I don't know what I can do, but I need your help. And then we let that grow in us, and we trust that he will sanctify us. And then eventually, you're going to take two steps back and go, Wow. I had some rich time with God. I had some amazing time and quiet this week. I, had, I read this passage of Scripture, and I'd never seen it before, like the way I saw it today. And he's trying to compel in Timothy to guard this deposit. So for me, um, I didn't come to faith until I was 17, but my mom, I, my family. But I had that, the giant Bible story book, like the tall one that was big for kids. And I don't remember any story in there except David and Goliath. Because, well, I was a boy, and I thought it was cool to kill someone with a slingshot. That was awesome. And I know he didn't kill him with a slingshot. The sword was in there, but still, I like slingshots. And I remember reading that story over and over and over again. I remember a couple times, I have memories of going to vacation Bible school as a very young kid. Um, We didn't go to, I don't remember going to a church, I don't have a memory of that. My family tells me that when we were, I was very young, five and six, we went to this little Baptist church and there was a blow up that happened with my family and another family and my family just quit going. But there was a couple of vacation Bible schools. I don't remember them a lot, but I remember a few things about them. Uh, My grandmother took me to the Methodist church across the street from her house when I would spend the night with her. We'd sleep on the giant, those big pillows they had for a while, like 40 years ago. And then we would go to church. And then there were a couple people that reached out to me as a teenager. They saw my life going crazy and they reached out to me and they, they spent some time with me. Now I can look back that God was calling me to Himself from a very young age, in spite of myself and in spite of my parents not going to church. I mean if a parent's antagonistic about the gospel, you're not gonna have a Bible storybook laying around. They're not gonna let my grandma take me to church. There's these little things that are there that I can look back and say, okay, God, you were calling me at a very young age, but I just I didn't know it, I didn't see it. I wasn't running from God, but I had no interest in God. I come to faith at 17 and there's still this journey. There's still these, but I can look back and I remember vividly the day of my salvation. And there's a deposit entrusted there. The first time I woke up and understood some power helped me, and this was after college, this is after getting a teaching job, I'm trying to walk in my faith, I'm confused, and then there's these little moments where I woke up. I'm like, oh, that happened. Oh, God gave me that book. Oh, God put that person in my life. That's entrusting the deposit that God has put in us, and then I guard it. So you put all those things together even today. So if someone comes to me and says, hey, have you ever heard this or read this or you think about this or someone says this translation's wrong or this way of looking at it is wrong, I don't immediately go, oh my gosh, my whole worldview's crumbling. There's a new author with a new book that says something different than I've believed for 30 years. <sighs> I can't believe this anymore. Instead I go, well, that's interesting. It doesn't make any sense. I'll take a look at it. I'll read it, I'll play with it in my mind, and I'll, eh, you know, there's no truth to that. That just because you author, I don't know if you know this, but anybody can write a book on Amazon. Do you know that? You can up- put a fancy little cover on it, put it on Amazon, and it will self-publish it, and they'll do it for you. So even that, okay. Well, I read on the internet. I have a blog, too. I can do that too. Trust what's been imparted in you. And so when things come your way, don't just throw your hands up. You dig in deep and you trust what God's already done in your life. And then he ends. Um that have turned away. But we don't know why these two people are not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures. We don't know why they've turned away. We don't see Paul saying that he says they turned away from him. And this very well could be what he said prior. He's in prison. I'm not ashamed of being in prison. So what I feel has happened is that This place in in Asia could be, it's probably all around Ephesus, so these are probably people that Timothy knows, or at least is encountered with in some of the churches in that area. That there's leaders in the community of faith because Paul's in prison, they don't want to, they've turned away from him. They're either ashamed that one of their former leaders and mentors is in prison, or they're afraid for their own lives because if people find out they're connected, they might be in prison too. Either way, It, but he's also going to talk about um, Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. I can't say these names right. I, should, I, I even looked them up in the software and had him read them to me. I can't say them right. But he Christ who went all the way to Rome and searched for him. Which lets you know that the prison system in Rome wasn't, you couldn't just like call up one number and say, hey, I'm looking for Paul. Uh, can you tell me where he's at? I'd like to visit him. Can I schedule an appointment? He went to Rome of his own accord. He went to Rome. He probably, he's clearly a freed man, so he's not a slave. He's a man of means. He travels to Rome from Asia, probably Ephesus, to show up, to encourage Paul, to help him, to bring him some supplies, whatever it took. And he says, I pray for his family. I like, Granted, he finds mercy. He may even be the one that brought the letter back to Timothy. But clearly, people are running from Paul because he's in chains. They're ashamed of him. They're ashamed of him being locked up. But there's one brother who's holding out and comes to encourage him and searches through the prisons in Rome until he finds him. And Paul says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is a known person. Can you imagine being so distraught and locked in prison and feeling alone and people are abandoning you, people that you discipled, people that you have helped? They don't want anything to do with you. And here comes this one person that's ready to show you some kindness. I think we could, we probably have people in our lives that were part of a church or part of a faith community and something happened in their lives, there was some sin. Something they messed up. Something was done. There's rumors in town about them. And then their friends stop talking to them. Well, I heard they did this. I heard, uh..." ah. These people haven't lost their faith, but they're letting gossip swell. They're letting stories swell. They're letting things happen. And now they're turning away from people they call brother or sister in Christ. And when that one person comes along and says, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Doesn't matter what the past is. Doesn't matter what sins in your life. Doesn't matter where it's been. I'm for you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to be there for you. We might have stuff to work on. Whatever's going on, we'll figure it out. But I'm for you. I'm not going to let the rumor mill. I'm not going to let the circumstances cause us to break relationship. And Paul's clearly overwhelmed by that. And how many times have you seen that in your time in church? Or something happens, there's a divorce, there's something goes on, something happens, there's whatever. And they feel like they can't come back to church, they can't be part of church, they can't come around because they're looked at weird, and then someone shows grace, and they're overwhelmed by it. Paul's clearly encouraged by people who are going to say that Jesus, a relationship with God... It's far more important than the rumor mill and the gossip that surrounds things. To the point where he's in prison, he's encouraged by this. A couple things to leave you with. I love this quote from Piper. I've used a short version before, so I thought I'd give it all to you. Because I think the key is, do you love God? Do you long for a relationship with him that's deep and abiding? And do you enjoy your time with him? Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the good news, by the gospel. And so his phrase, this is out of his book, God is the gospel, I thought was pretty telling. That your relationship with God is the good. If the good news is just to get to heaven, you've missed the point. The point is that we're connected to God forever, here on earth, into eternity. That we will enjoy Him now and forever. That's the good news. So where would you stack yourself up? Would you be someone who is just trying to get the stuff? I want to have someone I can pray to when I have an injury. I want someone that's going to help me get through a sickness. That's going to rescue my friend who's in deep sin. And if God could just get a hold of him or her, then the sin's going to go away. If that's what's going on, then you have a very inch deep faith in God. He will do all of those things, but the goal of your heart, the passion of your soul, has to be spending time with Him. And the time you spend with Him now is just a taste of what you'll be spending forever with Him. It's just a taste. And your time in the Word, your time in fellowship with other people, your time in prayer should cause a stir in your soul that you long for the day that you get to just breathe right next to the king. That you get to spend time with all those that have gone before you in faith. That you get to hang out with the king forever. That you're made new. You don't have to worry about sin or faith. It's all just as perfect as it was meant to be in the garden. And you long for that. So you want to know more about him. You want to know more about what he has for your life. You want to serve him in huge capacities. Because who, what, it doesn't matter what happens on this earth. Except sharing that love with others. God is the good news. Do you love him? Do you want him? Do you desire for him to be an ever increasing daily part of your life? You might have to start small, but you've got to let him in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this these passages of Scripture. Thank you for this encouragement from Paul um, that we see him giving to Timothy. We know, Lord, that he um, he was in prison and he was struggling, but he was encouraged. And even in the the position he was in, he wanted to be an encouragement to others. So we pray, Lord, that we would all feel that kind of encouragement from you, and we would desire to be with you. We would desire to be with you into eternity, but that desire begins to grow in us now. As we see how much you love us by your act of mercy on the cross to us, as we serve and we see and we taste the joy that we have here on earth, it causes us to long for heaven. But until you call us home or you return, we also know from the rest of your word that we're to share that love and that truth with all who would listen. Help us to have eyes that see outside of ourselves and hearts that long for others to know you in a deep way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.